before I open up God's word, uh, I do want to share a couple of things regarding the announcement. Um, first of all, Pastor Joey and Cease, would you just stand in case there's somebody new here who doesn't know who you are? There you are. Turn around, please. There you go. There he is. He currently serves on staff as our young adults and uh, youth pastor. And uh, I'm so grateful for what God is doing. I believe with all of my heart that we have found the perfect will of God. Yes. Now listen to me. Uh, as your pastor, I wanted, I'm sharing that because I'm not trying to manipulate anyone in any way, shape, or form, but I do feel it's my responsibility as your pastor to share with you. We feel board, as the board unanimously that this is the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so because of our congregational bylaws, you have to affirm that in that vote. And that's why we want you to begin praying because, listen, this is not about popularity. Nor do we search for a pastor the way our businesses in the world search to fill a position. We don't look at resumes. We are not here to look at, well, what have you done lately? Or what, how, how have you done this? There's only one question that ever has to be answered when we're looking for a, a senior pastor. And that is, is this the man that God has selected? Doesn't matter what you and I think. It's, what is God saying? And we're charged by God, not just the leadership council, but all of us in our membership, to affirm whether it's God or not. And that affirmation, again, must come not because uh, I like Pastor Joey or dislike Pastor Joey. It has to come because I have sought God and I have sensed the leading of the Holy Spirit to vote in a very specific way. And so that's why we encourage you to keep praying for that process, uh, and we'll see what God does on March the 19th. Now, again, if you might be uh, relatively new to Belmont, uh, Pastor Joey uh, will be speaking next Sunday uh, in both the English and the Spanish service so that you can hear him minister if you haven't done that already uh, from the past. Also, uh, he will be available from now on, at the end of every meeting, right down here in the front, if you want to ask him any personal questions, uh, just gathering more information about him, uh, we'll make that available to you. Uh, now, for the word of the Lord, have you ever been in a conversation where you have said something and the person's response has been, oh, you're one of those? In other words, uh, if you are a person that constantly sees the brighter side of things, or you see the glass always is half full, not half empty. How many uh, optimists do we have here in the house? Let me see your hand. Well, you're one of those. How many see the glass half empty? Let me see your hand. Come on, you don't have to be, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not a negative thing. Oh, yeah, you're one of those. How many know what this sign means? Let me say it out loud if you know what it means. Live long and prosper. Yeah, I'm one of those. I'm a Trekkie. 
And for the record, Star Trek Generation, that's the one. Okay. How many love this expression? Da bears. Yeah, you're one of those. <laughs> you love to root for a loser, and every year you think that they're going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> I'm retiring, I can say that now. <laughs> Most of the time, when we hear that expression, oh, you're one of those, it's usually in a negative context, right? But there is a time when you can be classified as one of those, and it's a good thing. If you have your Bible with you this morning, let's open up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19 of the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. The crowd was listening to everything Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. He said, a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together 10 of his servants and divided among them 10 pounds of silver, saying, invest this for me while I'm gone. But his people hated him and sent the delegation after him to say, we do not want you to be our king. After he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made ten times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted to you, so you will be governor of ten cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said, you will be governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king roared. You own, your own words condemn you. If you knew that I am a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then, turning to the other standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. But master, they said, he already has 10 pounds. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But to those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And as for the, these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. All right. We're talking this morning about being one of those. 
And in this uh, portion of scripture, Jesus is giving them a story and the nobleman in the story is Jesus Christ himself. And he, as he said, has been called to a distant empire, which represents and symbolic for heaven, there to be crowned the king. And then he will return. And he, prior to leaving, he gives his servants silver to invest while he is gone. And so... Uh, Notice also that some didn't want him to be made king. And then upon his return, gathering the servants to them to, so that they can give an account to see if they have been profitable in investing his silver, we've read that two of his servants uh, produced uh, a wonderful return, and in, and in the end, they also got rewarded by the king. Uh, and, but this one servant, he did nothing with the silver, and he was judged harshly by the king and then the people that did not want him to be king were also judged now what's the connection that that has to do with you and I here today this story classifies three groups of people categorizing three groups of people that every single one of us, including myself, we all fall into one of these categories. We are one of those people in one of these three categories. Now, before we go into the categories themselves, let me just lay a little foundation that I think is so critical for us, and that is this. In Revelation chapter 17, verse 14, we read, together they will go to war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will defeat them because he is Lord of Lords and what? Say with me, King of Kings. Jesus Christ, this is talking about Jesus Christ in heaven. Uh, this is about talking about some uh, very prophetic times, the end times, where there is going to be war, uh, where the devil and his angels are go or demons are going to be fighting against the angels of heaven, and Jesus Christ is going to overcome them, and the Bible says why he is going to defeat them, because he is Lord of lords, and he is king of kings. In other words, Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven and has been crowned king of kings. Now that means this, that Jesus Christ, he rules, he governs over all creation. He is the absolute word, last word on everything that happens in all of creation. He is king of all kings. And one day, this king will return. Amen. This is the hope of the church. Yes. That one day, this, the king of kings, Jesus Christ himself, is going to return. We're not going to get into that portion, uh, but the Bible speaks very clearly that there's a designated day that God has declared for Jesus Christ to return for his people and to gather up the church. Are you with me on that so far? Yeah. Are you happy that the king is going to return? Yeah. Okay, before you say yeah, let's look at the categories now. Because there's three categories 
And you are one of those people that fall into either one of these three categories. The first category, there are those who reject the kingship of Christ. In other words, they, they, they don't reject the, that Jesus Christ is Savior. There are people that embrace Jesus Christ as Savior. They love the fact, as we were singing earlier, that Jesus Christ came to this earth, died on the cross for my sins, and through his blood that was spilled on that cross, I can receive forgiveness for my sin. I love that Jesus Christ is my Savior. How many love Jesus as your Savior? But this isn't about Jesus being Savior. This is about Jesus being king of your life. You see, king means that Jesus Christ is the one who has the right, the authority to govern my life, to rule my life, to use my life as he sees fit, to direct it wherever he feels it should go. And there were a portion of people that did not want Jesus Christ as their king. And the saddest thing that we find in the church today is there are a portion of Christians who don't want Jesus Christ to be their king. They love him as their savior, but they reject him as their king. And the only reason why that happened is because we have embraced the lie that we can be our own king. We have embraced this lie from hell that somehow we can be the sole authority in our life. We can make our own decisions. We can be the one that rules and reigns over our own life. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I don't want anybody trying to control my life. I'm in control of my own life. But that's one of the biggest lies the devil has spun in all of creation. Because none of us ever is in control of our life. The Bible says from the moment we are born, the Bible teaches us that sin rules our life. Sin controls our life. That's why you find yourself doing the things that you know are wrong and you know you don't want to do them, but you wind up doing them anyway. When you acknowledge that that's happened in your life, you're acknowledging I'm not in control. Sin is in control of my life. See, there are only two masters that the Bible highlights. It's either Jesus as your king or sin as your king. You have to choose. Every day that God gives you breath, you have to make a decision. Is sin going to be my king? Is sin going to control my life today? Is sin going to tell me what to do? Or is Jesus Christ going to be my king? Is Jesus going to be the one that's going to direct my life today? Where I am going to yield to him and say, God... You rule over my life. Direct it as you see fit. Because if Jesus Christ is not your king, then sin will be. And notice, when the king returns, put verse 27 back up onto the screen, would you please? Let's look at what it says. Look at the consequences. As for those who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and what? Oh, is this the loving Jesus that we were singing about? Yeah, it is. 
You see, to reject Jesus Christ as king is to reject Jesus Christ altogether. You cannot separate his being savior from his being king. To reject him as king is to reject him altogether. And the saddest part for many believers will be when he does return on that day and you have to stand before him, the question will be, was I your king? It will be too late at that point to declare that you want him to be your king. The issue will be, during your life, was I your king? There won't be any way that you can give an excuse. Well, this happened. Well, that happened. It's a very simple question. Is Jesus Christ your king today, right now? Are you living your life under the authority of Jesus Christ, allowing him to direct and govern your life? In other words, here's the big question. Are you one of those who reject the kingship of Christ or are you one of those who embrace his kingship? There is no middle ground. Either you and I will embrace him as our king, or we will reject him as our king. The second point we're looking at is there are those who choose to waste the king's investment. Did you notice that there was this third servant that the king gave silver to? Every Christian, every single person that has embraced Jesus Christ as their Savior, every single one that has the Spirit of God dwelling in their heart, when the Spirit of Christ comes to dwell in your heart, a part of that indwelling is a gifting that God gives you. In this translation, to use the analogy, it's silver. The king's silver is giftings that God has given you and I that we are to invest so that we can produce, so that we can come back with, with a, a, a replication, a return, if you will, on the king's investment. What, what am I talking about? I'm talking about the fact that, uh, take, let's take Pastor Jason. Pastor Jason has been giving giftings. One gifting is to play a musical instrument. I know because I can't. I, that's a gifting he has. I don't have that gifting. He has a gifting to sing. How many know? Not all of us can sing. Well, we can make a joyful noise, but not everybody can sing. The third gifting is to lead worship. You just can't get up and put some songs together and say, okay, I'm going to lead worship. You have to be gifted by God to lead worship. You see? Teaching children is a gift. Ushering is a gift. Or you think they just, well, they just stand around. What do they do? Move people to a seat, give out a bucket. No. It requires patience, gentleness, kindness. Some of the giftings that, uh, and character traits that some of us just don't have. Some of us, if we were ushers, the church would be empty. We'd drive everybody away. Right? So there, there are all of these 
giftings that God gives us, if you want to call them talents, you can call them talents, but they are to be used to serve God and others. And I want you to see, we are required by the king to produce a return on his investment. Which means this, see, I have been gifted by God to be able to communicate God's word. So now, there is a charge upon my life, as it is upon every believer's life. What am I going to do with the gifting that God has given me? I have to produce a return. Uh, if you want to use the biblical term, I have to produce fruit. I have to show that I am doing something with the gifting that God has given me to build up the kingdom of God. So in other words, if I have the gifting to, uh, to sing, but I, I don't want to be on the worship team, and I don't do any singing, I have chosen to bury the gift. You see, every single one of us has a choice. You can either use the gift that God has given you, or you can bury it. There are some that think that they can get over on God. That decide, well, I know that God has called me to work with teenagers. How many would say it's a gift to work with teenagers? Because either you love them or you want to kill them. So if you kill, want to kill them, you don't have the gifting. But if you have the gifting, but you have chosen not to get involved with the youth, You've buried the gift God has given you. Some of you are technical wizards. Where's Pastor Tom? Pastor Tom. See that man? Pastor Tom, could you stand back there? Move a camera back there if you got to. See that man back there? I wish I had a quarter of the gifts he has. I'm telling you, there would be no lights on in this church if it was not for that man. He has multiple gifts. There are people in this church that are a, such a, a incredible technical wizards. Yes. Yes. They don't do anything with that gift. I was once talking to somebody who makes a living as a teacher for children. And one day I approached her and say, do you love your job? She goes, I love teaching children. And I said, then why don't you get involved teaching children here? You have the gift and you have the passion. Yeah, but, and this is her answer, I do that eight hours a day, five days a week. I don't want to do that on Sunday. Okay, but the gifting that God gives you, you do it to get paid, but you won't do it to build up his kingdom. I don't get that. See, we're talking about the fact that every single one of us has a gifting. No one can get over on God and say, well, I didn't know, I didn't know what you wanted me to do. Every one of us has a gifting from God to serve the body of Christ. Amen. God doesn't call anybody to sit and do nothing. When you sit and do nothing, you are making that conscious decision, I am going to bury the gift that God has given me. And notice, when the king comes back, everyone that embraces him as savior is going to stand before him. 
You will not have anybody else by your side. It'll be just you and the king. And you will have to go to give an account. I'm going to have to give an account. We all will have to give an account to God for what we have done with the gifting that he has given us. And I want you to see something here. There are consequences. Severe consequences when we bury the gift God has given us. Look, at, Matthew records the same story and listen to what he, how he ends it in Matthew chapter 25, verse 30. Jesus said, now throw that useless servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's talking about the servant that buried the gift and did nothing with it. He took it away and then he said, that servant is useless. Weeping and gnashing of teeth symbolizes the outer darkness. And let me put it this way. It ain't heaven. Think about this. We can live our whole life here thinking that we're in a good place with God, that when our time comes and either the Lord returns or we die, that we're going to be in heaven forever. But you know, heaven is conditioned upon two things. Have you embraced Jesus Christ as your king? And what have you done? Have you used the gifting he's put in you? See, it's not just by, well, I embrace Jesus as my savior. That doesn't give you a ticket to heaven. No. It's what you do after you embrace Christ that determines whether you have a ticket into heaven or not. Whether you embrace him as your king. Why? Because God is not going to allow somebody who lives in rebellion their entire life here to spend eternity with him there. See, when you reject the kingship of Christ, it's like, I want Jesus to forgive my sins so I can go to heaven, but I want to live my life here on this earth the way I want to live my life. And that don't hold water with God. Nor is he going to allow somebody to gain entrance into heaven for all eternity when you have wasted the precious gift that he's deposited within you during your lifetime, you see. So the question becomes, are you one of those who have chosen to waste the gift that God has given you, the king's investment into your life? Now here's the third and last one. There are those who produce a return on the king's investment. Producing a return, like the two servants, that they had, master, you gave us a certain amount of silver. One, say, I, I did 10 times that amount. Another one, five times that amount. And what that simply means is using your giftings to build up the kingdom of God here on the earth. Let me say a couple of things about giftings, talents, if you will. They are not to be used for personal gain or recognition. In other words, when you uh, use the gifting that God has given you so that people could recognize that you are gifted, you are misusing the gifting and you are not producing a return because all the gifts that God gives us are for the purpose that we not only build up the body of Christ, but we glorify his name. 
We want his name and his name alone to be praised. So it's not for my personal recognition, not personal gain. It's to be used for the benefit of others to build them up. And when I, we do that, when the king returns and we stand before him, this is the part that I think blows a lot of Christians away. What was the king's reward? When the king said, hey, you got, you got 10, you, 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 10 times the amount of my investment? Wonderful. You're going to be governor over 10 cities. What does that mean? I got more work for you. See, we think, hey, when we get to heaven, man, we're going to be lounging with Jesus, lounging with Jesus. But that's not going to be the case. The, Jesus, the one who has been given much, is required much. And the one who has done much will be receiving even more. In other words, God said, I can trust you. So even in heaven, I want you to oversee this. I want you to bless the people that are going to be underneath your care. Rewards are handed out by the Lord according to what we have done with the investment here on earth. I'm, what I'm getting at, brothers and sisters, somewhere, somehow, We've gotten this concept in Christianity that serving God is a labor instead of an honor. That, that, that working as an usher and working with children, wherever it might be, that, that doing that, oh, it's so difficult, it's such a chore. Oh. Instead of, man, I could be out in a bar somewhere destroying my life with drugs or doing something crazy. Hey, God, have mercy on me and God save me. And even though I didn't deserve it, God has now given me this gift that I didn't even know I had. And what an honor it is to serve the king. What an honor it is to be used by him to somehow make a difference in somebody's life. Whether it be children or adults or youth, whatever it might be, to be able to use God, to use me to do something in some small way that can be an encouragement to people is a tremendous honor, not a burden. Would you say amen to that? So the question becomes, Pastor Jason, if you would come, are you one of those that are producing a return on the king's investment? See, one of those, you're going to fall in one of these categories. I'm going to ask you to stand right now and listen to me as we get ready to close. Here's the thing about these three categories. Not just God knows, but people around us know as well. Yeah. Listen to me. I can identify those who reject the kingship of Christ. You could see it in their lifestyle. They live their life and they're vocal about it, that they want to make sure everybody understands nobody is telling me what to do. In fact, many times this has happened to me. I've talked to people, hey, have you ever considered about becoming a member? And I've, I can't tell you how many times as a pastor in the last 30 plus years I've heard this. Uh, no, because I don't want anybody in my business telling me what to do. When I hear that, I see, I know. They've rejected the kingship of Christ. They don't understand 
that embracing membership is a form of acknowledging the kingship of Christ because the authority of Christ flows through the leadership of the church. And we're here not to control people's lives. We're here to help people guide their life along the path that God has marked out for them. And when you want to be a lone ranger, man, it just brings so much heartache into your life. When you want, when you reject the authority and the kingship of Christ, there's so many issues that you wind up making decisions on, thinking that, that, uh, that, that, that you're doing the right thing, and all the time, every decision you're making is a terrible decision that brings consequences in your life. I don't want you to be one of those. I want you to be one of those that embrace the kingship of Christ. And then you will see, having him as your king isn't a negative, it's a positive. Oh, I'm glad he's the one directing my life because every time I try to direct my life, I mess it up so bad. I want to be counted among those and I want you to be counted among those that don't waste the king's investment in your life. You have a gift that God has deposited in you. Don't think it's a life thing. Don't think it's something that's not important. It's important for every member of the body of Christ to function, to do what God has called it to do for his honor and for his glory. Because the day will come when our king returns and I want him to look at me. I want him to look at you and say, you're a good servant. You brought a return on my investment. Come. Enjoy your master's happiness. Blessed be his.